From the center of the United States of America in Wichita, Kansas, I am Tony Bruski, and this is Real Ghost Stories Online Radio, episode number one. It's a show that's really been in the making for several years now, and we've done some slight variations on it on uh, Halloween of every year, sharing uh, ghost stories from callers from my radio show, and an interview here or there when um, I I guess the mood struck me, so to speak, but uh, I have uh, decided I love doing this, uh, I've gotten some great feedback, great responses, hundreds of thousands of listens and views to our programs on YouTube and the various other places it resides online, and obviously, you guys like the show. You like the idea, so on a weekly basis, here it is. This is going to be at Real Ghost Stories Online. Every single week, we're going to be sharing ghost stories. We're going to be uh, taking calls and sharing those stories uh, and interviewing people in the paranormal community uh, and, and sharing their stories and their findings, everything from EVPs to haunt investigations to famous Famous haunts, famous stories. Uh, We are uh, lining up interviews already for future shows, and I'm very, very excited about some of them that are coming up. Uh, I can tell you this much. uh, If you saw the movie The Conjuring this year, uh, we are going to be talking with a member of that family that lived in the real house, and we are going to get the inside story of what it was like to live in that home in Connecticut uh, when all of those paranormal and horrific things were happening, uh, when Ed and Lorraine Warren came in and investigated and uh, also compare the movie, The Conjuring, to exactly what uh, what happened in, in real life. Because uh, it's always a big question, uh, especially when you think to things like Amityville and things of that nature. Uh, what's accurate, what really happened according to the people who lived it, uh, and what did the movie embellish upon? So we'll, uh, we'll answer all those questions uh, in a future show here. This month, uh, in October, we'll be uh, putting that show out there. Where do you find the show on a regular basis? I should uh, establish that for you. Uh, on our website at Real Ghost Stories Online, that is where we'll be posting the shows uh, every week once we have them produced and put up. Uh, You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. If this is where you're finding us, just directly on YouTube, subscribe, and you will find more shows magically appear uh, as time goes by, and we are going to be shooting to do this on a weekly basis. I should let you know I have a very busy schedule, so that may not always be the case, because this is obviously a a kind of a hobby of mine. This is not my full-time job. Radio broadcasting is my full-time job. I I work in radio. I also run an advertising agency and produce radio and television commercials throughout the world. And uh, that can, in itself, be a full-time schedule. And I'm a family. I have I have two daughters and a wife, and that takes up a lot of my time as well. <laughs> so when I have a little window of time, which is literally how this show has come about, it's it's become I have a little window on Thursday nights to produce a show. Uh, I could sit and watch some mindless television or I can produce a show and have some fun and really make something to be proud of that I really enjoy doing. And broadcasting has been in my blood since I was literally two or three years old. I have tapes of me playing radio and playing into the microphone. And it's just kind of reminiscent of that because I'm recording this out of my home studio. So it's kind of like going back home, if you will. (laughs) 
normally I'm in professional studios and my home studio is a professional studio. It's just, you know, not the giant monstrosity that you see or think of when you think of, uh, of studios. But uh, it certainly works. So it's kind of like coming back home and I almost feel like I'm playing radio here. But uh, obviously from all the shows that we've done so far and the hundreds of thousands of views, it's beyond, I guess, me talking to my cat. <laughs> Which was how I played radio as a child. Here, Kitty, here's a new hit song from John Sagata on Kid Radio. That's that's kind of how I did it. But uh, this show, all about paranormal stuff. Uh, and just so you know, it, it's going to be focusing on ghosts. Ghosts, spirits, the undead, things of that nature. We're not going to go into the UFO, the UFO realm uh, on this on this program or any future programs for that matter. Uh, as far as I can see, it's going to be a focus on ghosts. That has uh, always been my interest. And so that's uh, that's what the show is going to be because it's my show <laughs> and I can do what I want. So that's uh, that's the direction we're taking it on today's show. We're going to listen to some EVPs uh, to kind of kick it off uh, and and uh, just just really dive into uh, what this show is going to be all about, um, and and hear some of those, kind of dissect those a little bit, and I'm going to uh, be sharing an interview with you that I did a little bit earlier in the year uh, with Eric Walter, uh, who is a writer, director, and documentarian, a documentarian, and a creator of this awesome documentary called uh, My Amityville Horror. Uh, it is an amazing documentary that he put together, uh, talking to Daniel Lutz, uh, the child, one of the children, uh, that were in, uh, the Amityville Horror, uh, in the real life Amityville Horror, not the movie, but the real life situation that was, uh, the Amityville Horror. And, uh, we're going to talk to him about, uh, what that was like making that documentary and what it was like sitting down with Daniel Lutz uh, and and getting the inside story, if you will, getting the perspective uh, on the Amityville Horror. That's another case that um, so fascinating to me. I remember reading that book over summer vacation as a child and uh, just being enveloped in it. Uh, just the story, the, the flies in the window, the red room, and, and come to find out later, a lot of it was embellished. But there was a, a, a lot to that story that was, in fact, quite true. Um, and there's a lot to that story that was never revealed uh, until after uh, George Lutz's passing a couple years ago. Um, and uh, what was found, what came out in that interview that uh, Eric did, that, like I said, we're going to be interviewing Eric here shortly, um, what he found out from Daniel, the the other side, the alleged other side of George Lutz, uh, very, uh, very disturbing allegations, to, to say the least, and also kind of put some things into perspective, kind of put some of the blocks into place, if you will, about the Amityville Horror, uh, and it makes you kind of go, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? So anyway, we'll get to that uh, that interview here shortly at uh, Real Ghost Stories Online Radio. Like I said before, you can uh, view uh, or listen to all of our shows on our website at realghoststoriesonline.com. If you have a ghost story, we would love to hear it. Uh, and uh, if, if you'd like to talk with us, uh, we'd even love to have you on the show, uh, providing you can speak clearly. <laughs> That you'd be amazed. Some some folks talk to. Uh, yeah, 
If you can speak clearly, you're articulate, we'd love to have you on the show uh, to uh, to share your ghost story. You can email us. So just click on the Tell Us Your Ghost Story button on our website at Real Ghost Stories Online. And like I said, please subscribe to us uh, on YouTube. That's going to be where we post uh, all of these shows uh, exclusively is, is going to be uh, on YouTube. So you can uh, check those out pretty much anywhere, anytime you want, on your smartphone, online, wherever you may be. So, with all of that being said, I think it's time for us to uh, to get into our first interview here. Let's give you a little background on this. In November 13th, 1974, that house at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville became the site of one of the worst domestic murders in American history. 23-year-old Rano DeFeo went on a rampage and murdered his entire family, later claiming that he was driven to murder by voices he heard in the house shortly after that. George and Kathy Lutz, along with Kathy's three children, moved into that very home, thinking it would be their dream house. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it just had such an ominous look to it. I wonder if they, they felt any of that ominous look or that presence. You know, just remember those, those windows, those eye-looking windows. If I would see a house like that, I think I would turn and run the other way. Uh, what happened over the 28 days that the Lutz family called this house a home became the subject of the infamous book, The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. And in this book, the family made claims of widespread supernatural happenings that pushed them to the brink of insanity. George and Kathy Lutz have never gone back uh, on a single claim of the haunting and paranormal events. Daniel Lutz, he was one of their children. He was 10 years old at the time of the infamous events. And now, for the first time in 35 years, Daniel has gone on the record about his experience with our guest filmmaker Eric Walters in his new film, My Amityville Horror, which is available on Amazon Video On Demand. And also right now, uh, you can get the DVD as well through Amazon.com, but I've also seen it on Netflix On Demand as well. Uh, Eric Walters, a writer, director, and documentarian, and creator of AmityvilleFiles.com, which is one of the definitive online sources on the subject. Uh, this is, uh, his interview. This is him with us sharing, uh, his thoughts on exactly what happened in that interview and what happened inside that house at one, at 112 Ocean Avenue. Eric, welcome to the show. I got to ask, what made you interested in this topic to begin with? When I was about 10 years old, I became totally enamored with the book by Jans and the Amityville Horror. Sure. And I guess primarily because uh, a true story was printed on the front cover. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, it was that black cover with the devil's tail and yep. the flies and all of this. And so I was just very obviously uh, taken by the entire story, the allegations of a haunting. Um, obviously, the mass murder that had been, you know, occurred in the house in 1974 uh, at the hands of the oldest son. Um, all of these things under one roof uh, very much intrigued me. And in many ways, Amityville kind of represents, you know, the, the America's, if not the world's most uh, famous uh, and infamous haunted house controversy. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, over the subsequent years, became uh, very interested in almost uh, an Amityville uh, obsessive, I guess, um, to the point that I was, you know, looking into records of the Historical Society, taking trips, to Amityville, I had uh, to take photographs and meet people um, who worked on the case. Um, and uh, I actually subsequently 
became you know friends over the phone with uh, people like Laura DiDio, who was an investigative reporter, uh, and actually a news assistant uh, for Channel 5 News mm-hmm. uh, at the time of these occurrences that happened to the Lutz family. And so, uh, yeah, upon this, I was just uh, very driven with the story and very passionate about it. I developed a website, kind of what I would describe as a web archive called AmityvilleFiles.com, which is kind of a treasure trove, a, a creative presentation of uh, a lot of the documentation that surrounds the story, a newspaper archive and things that I've collected through friends and people I've met online um, over the years. And so, yeah, it was just a process of trying to create somewhere people could go and pull their own conclusions about what they believe happened in that house. And there are so many different theories about what happened in that house. Um, it's very easy to say that what the Lutzes claims happened was all a hoax and none of it ever happened. But I really think that the truth of the matter lies somewhere between it being fabricated and it being an, an out-and-out uh, truth. Before you made the film, uh, where did you feel that the truth actually lay uh, on this haunting story? I know you said somewhere in the middle, but be a little bit more specific as to where you, you kind of feel things had, had been uh, or where they, they were sitting in reality before you talked with Daniel. Well, for me, obviously, it was just a story before I met with Danny. Um, I had always just, you know, read, it was all of what I had read and talked to. I'd never actually spoken to any of the family members. So uh, my gut instinct was, even before meeting Danny, um, that there was some truth to it. That, obviously, I don't think a family abandons all of their worldly possessions and runs from this house and flees clear across the country over nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, While I do think that, you know, there were very many things that have been said about this house. I don't believe everything that's been said by the Lutzes, by the media. Um, and a lot of the truth has become misconstrued about what actually they said. And that's that's the actual, you know, shame of this entire case, that it's been clouded and lost in so much uh, misinformation over the years. To develop a real well-rounded opinion about it, honestly, you have to dig through all the muck <laughs> that surrounds the story. And, and that includes the DeFeo case. And, um, the subsequent families who lived there who said nothing ever happened to them strange and there's nothing to the story and you know this is all just a big hoax um i just think that's too convenient of an answer i, I believe something definitely of a genuine uh paranormal nature did happen to the Lutz family however i do think that it snowballed into something now that it never actually represented um and it's there's been so much said about it mm-hmm. it's it yeah it's just it's now uh, America's most famous haunted house. Sure. <laughs> and, in, you know, in many ways, there's been many hauntings that have happened to other people uh, in many ways that are more severe and, and I think a little bit more, I guess, powerful in nature than, than the Amityville case. For some reason, I think the mass murders uh, enhanced that idea. How did you begin communicating with Daniel? So through Amityville Files, I was contacted one day out of the clear blue sky by a friend of his. Uh, in the Queens area, uh, who said he knew Danny and Danny was interested in talking publicly. However, he wanted to speak with somebody who knew the case and didn't want to have to educate somebody on all of the story that surrounds it. Have any of the other children, because obviously there were there was other children in the house when this happened, have any of them ever come forward with any pieces of information? Yes, uh, Christopher Corotino, who is Dan's brother, uh, actually has spoken publicly in uh, various venues, uh, similar things that Danny actually claimed to me, and, and in the film, of course, that his stepfather, 
George Lutz was involved in occult dabblings inside the house, and they believe triggered the haunting on the family. Um, now, of course, I don't want to speak for Christopher because that's not my job. It's not my job to speak for anybody but myself, of course, but um, this is widely known and something that I was obviously familiar with once I met Danny. You know, George passed away in 2006. You know, to be making allegations about someone who now is gone uh, was definitely a concern to us filmmakers, just to be you know, very careful to how to tread on that area. Sure. However, Danny's story is wrapped up in the memory of the stepfather and what he feels the stepfather perpetrated uh, on the family. The talks of George being involved in the occult, that was the first time I had heard it was in your film. I was unaware that the other brother had talked about that as well. Other than, than, than Danny talking about it in your film and, and the other brother having mentioned this over the years as well, did George ever make any references to him being involved in the occult in his later years? I know he was doing some interviews, but I had never Not heard... Not to my knowledge, yeah. no. And he had been interviewed at the time. It's actually the clip in my film about uh, with George and Kathy are sitting on uh, Good Morning America. Sure. They're asked, you know, flat out, did were you interested in the believers in the occult? And they both say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in the film, you know, juxtaposed with Danny talking about uh, George being involved uh, with satanic ritual and having books on. I know there had been a lot of stories uh, towards the end of George's life when he was doing interviews, and I don't know if you've heard this either, uh, where the people who were scheduled to interview George when he was granting some of those Prior to him speaking to them, strange things, events would be happening to the folks that were going to be interviewing. Now, they weren't tragic or anything like that, but just kind of unexplained, odd things, accidents around individuals uh, prior to, to, to that. Have you ever heard of anything of that nature? I can't say that I have. And for, I wish that I would have been able to speak with George yeah. uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the, you know good fortune many people did to speak with him but uh, I certainly would have uh, pursued to get his point of view in this project in many ways I feel I wish something of a first person documentary uh, nature like we did with Danny could have been done with George because mm-hmm. it, that was honestly what needed to be done Sure, uh, it would have been an entirely different film mm-hmm. um, but yeah no I, I haven't heard those, those uh, stories I think a lot of your you know the paranormal at least from my opinion hauntings you know, you can be very susceptible to a haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you believe in hauntings, if you believe in evil, mm-hmm. then obviously it's going to be enhanced more. Uh, George, I know at the time, claimed that he was un- a non-practicing Methodist when they moved into the Amityville house, mm-hmm. and neither George nor Kathy were uh, overly religious. Mm-hmm. At the time, of course, moving out of the house, they definitely became much more involved in the church. Um so these allegations of George being involved in the occult and, and you know, satanic rituals and this type of thing uh, seemed very, um, obviously, the anger toward the stepfather from from Danny, mm-hmm. I felt many of his statements were colored by his anger. Sure. And, you know, obviously, the need to put the blame on someone, I you know, I was always wondering what, what that is. Of course, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I really wanted the film to speak for itself and for Danny to have, uh, you know, film allows uh, room to breathe a little bit in that way mm-hmm. uh, for people to make up their own mind because my job as a documentarian is to be objective with the, with the content sure and I really think our film because they were dealing with a you know a boy who was 10 years old at the time we're dealing with someone who <sighs> the memory of the event now is mixed with media interpretations of, of the occurrences mm-hmm. by no fault of his own 
um, in my opinion. And I think that uh, it's unfortunate because what the film represents for me is kind of the fuzzy line between reality and imagination. Mm -hmm. And so that's unfortunate. Um, Obviously, like I said, I would love to have talked to George Lutz, Mm -hmm. um, but the story that I was able to capture and extract from somebody who was there, obviously who's never spoken publicly about this, and, and none of the kids have to this degree. This is the first time this, is, this has happened in such a, you know, a feature type of presentation. You know, it's a sad and tragic picture. Danny, Danny was a victim, and I wanted to show the utmost respect for him to come forward. And obviously, you know, we had many discussions, you know. Uh, it was the process of making the film. I kind of had to, you know, befriend Danny mm-hmm. and tell him, you know, this is, you're sure you want to open this door because... Once, you know, if you're not identified as the Amityville kid now, you certainly will be once this is out, you know, now as an adult. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a difficult, it's, it's a very difficult picture. And there's been so much said about this case. And, and for someone uh, who was an adolescent at the time to now try to move forward and rationalize something unexplainable to a, uh, you know, a public who's already mired in decades of misinformation, um, you know, it's it, as I said, it's a very difficult picture. It's not the easiest of prospects. Did anything odd occur throughout the making of this film, uh, whether it be, you know, something slight or something major? Did you have anything strange happen to you or any of your crew? I can't say that I did. Um, I know that when we were shooting uh, at Lorraine Warren's uh, occult museum and we had Danny and, and uh, everyone, that was... I know some of the camera operators and things were a little unnerved because I think the, the surroundings... Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, kind of, a, little, a little bit of an uncomfortable uh, shoot, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I would mainly attribute that to Danny's intensity mm-hmm. um, and how he dealt with that entire uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Because by the, you know, it was it was a difficult process of getting Danny to want to talk about this sure. at all. Honestly, I mean, he wanted to come forward to, to connect with me, but it wasn't like he was open and, and uh, uh, he was open for Danny, and I appreciate that from him. But uh, we were, I'm, I'm, I still look at the film, and I'm flabbergasted that we were able to get as much as we did on camera mm-hmm. and in the can in an editable fashion. Um, but no, I can't say that anything of a paranormal nature uh, occurred to me or my crew while we were shooting there. Thank God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what were your <laughs> but, first, um, when you first got to sit down with Danny before the cameras came in, when you actually had the tape recorder and you went in and you met with him, what were your right. first impressions of Danny? Uh, just a overly angry, uh, just person. I mean, he was, my first meeting with him, uh, was at a diner in Queens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went there and his very first question he asked me was, you know, what is your religion? I brought a digital recorder with me about a, you know, a collection of photographs from the March 6th, 1976 investigation. And you could feel the years kind of coming off his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sitting across from me kind of you know, chain smoking cigarettes. It was it was a powerful thing. Um, by this point, we were in a you know, and we weren't in the diner. We were somewhere. You know, we were in, in, in his place, so it was mm-hmm. fine. But uh, it was a private thing. But it was you could definitely feel. Uh, you know, some of these photographs he had never seen before. Some mm-hmm. photographs of his bedroom, his toys on the shelf, mm-hmm. uh, his, and you know, the furniture they left, the clothes. You know, and it was it was a obviously an emotional thing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt then that, you know, kind of my initial skepticism of this being something he was doing uh, for attention or money or something kind of dwindled away at that point because I realized this was almost like a cathartic sense of 
uh, settling a score with himself mm-hmm. that he needed to, I guess for lack of a better phrase, you know, exercise the demons of his past. That was the process of, of what that was all about. When you brought the photos to him, obviously one of the most infamous photos of the case is is the ghost boy photo. Right. Did you ever get his opinion on, on that photograph in particular? Unfortunately, not on camera. I do have it on audio cassette, and he did talk about how he believes that it's, it's uh, credible, that he believes that it was something. Uh-huh. Um, my own opinion, actually, we've done quite a bit of, uh, friends of mine have come, done some research on this over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's quite a bit of debate on that picture. I mean, it does represent uh, a fellow who was actually brought in assistant uh, to the warrant named Paul Bart, who was in the house at the time, and there's a lot of speculation whether that was actually him, because if you look closely, uh, you can see that, he, that whatever figure is peering around the corner uh, is wearing, it looks appears to be a, a plaid, you know, like a flannel shirt, mm-hmm. uh, and have eye, it appears to be eyeglasses that, you know, when you look at it from just looking at the photograph, not up close, it looks like luminescent eyes. Sure. Um, so what's more likely here, I don't know, but this this camera was on a timer. It was a camera on the second floor mm-hmm. uh, set up by Gene Campbell, who was hired by the Warrens to be there that night. And, um, yeah, there was just so many different photographs being taken at the time. And so that was just one that was found by Georgia's secretary, I think, uh, around after the book came out initially in the, in the late 70s. Because it certainly is one of the most eerie, uh, whether it's real or not, ghost photographs that have, have ever been published. Laura DeDio actually told me that, she, you know, I, I won't go as far as, obviously I don't want to speak for her. Sure. She, you know, she's told me that she feels, you know, she does, she knows there were no children in the house. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know who that is or wh- what that is, and I guess I get the sense from her that she believes that it actually was uh, of some sort of, you know, specter in the house. If you look at photographs of, of uh, one of the DeFeo children, it has a striking resemblance to them. Really? Uh, which is pretty chilling as well. Yeah. Are, have right. there been, all I know from the, the research that I've done is that that is the only photo that, that seemed to show anything uh, paranormal or, or relatively paranormal. Is there any other photo evidence or anything of that nature that has ever come out that, that showed anything odd? Nothing from the time. I know there's about 3,000 photographs of, of reflections on windows of mm-hmm, <laughs> sure. people driving up and taking pictures. That, that, you know, some of those are very, very odd, obviously, but uh, I wouldn't say that there's any, there's certainly no proof, you know, concrete proof. There, well, actually, I'm missing over one thing. Um, uh, that actually is briefly mentioned in the film, but never really, uh, it's never really pinpointed. There's the infamous um, Moosehead photograph that was taken, uh, again, by Gene Campbell in the house during the investigation, and it's a photo of Lorraine Warren, who at the time was holding uh, uh, an icon as Padre Pio, who mm-hmm. was, you know, St. Pio was a saint um, at the time, and she had received this icon before going into the house and had this with her during the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know that uh, George and uh, Lorraine and uh, others believe there's actually a formation of Padre Pio's face, which is quite striking. It looks uh, very much very similar to photographs of you know the side of Padre Pio's face in the moose head itself. Really? Um, there's different pictures, yeah, that, that represent, that actually look like a face. Um, but I think, again, I, I hate to be a pessimist, but for me it looks, it looks very much like it could just be a formation in the actual moose's head. Um, but it's one of those things. There's, there definitely is no concrete proof or evidence mm-hmm. um, for any of it 
that's been captured on camera other than those two intriguing photographs. In the film that you made, towards the end, you asked Daniel about taking a lie detector test, um, and he obviously right. seems almost offended uh, by, by the question. Uh, I'm sure right. it's something he's been asked many times in the past, too. Why do you think it was that, that he reacted the way he did? Well, I could answer that simply. I think he took it as an assault on his credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, he had sat there for eight hours, and I had allowed him, without confrontation, without me pushing any, you know, any buttons, and, and me asking a question about a lie detector test was not me trying to, you know, it was not a, I guess you'd say a gotcha question or, sure. or something like that. It was really a valid question. I actually prefaced the statement with, uh, you know, in 1979, George and Kathy, your parents, took lie detector tests and pass with flying colors. Uh, and this is true. You know, they were asked questions like, did you levitate? Did you see yourself as an old hag in terms of mm-hmm. for Kathy? And um, yes, yes. And they, again, passed with flying colors. Um, so I think it was a valid question. Your parents did this. Would you be willing to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and he took it, again, as an assault on his credibility from the standpoint of he had sat there for eight hours, poured his heart out, essentially, to me, and mm-hmm. in front of, you know, three other camera operators who, whom he didn't know at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an intense, I mean, he's clearly visibly shaken in the film and, and quite disturbed by the entire topic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it wasn't my uh, intention to get such a, to elicit such a reaction out of him. However, um, I do think I did include it uh, in the film at, at the end because I think that it keeps the question of whether this was a fabrication or whether this was the truth right on the line because at the end of the day, that's all we're left with. The mm-hmm. truth is unattainable in this case. There were only five people in that house who can corroborate their stories, and George and Kathy are now passed over. Of course, we have their story on, you know, documented in so many different, you know, formats, mm-hmm. venues that have been, you know, over the years. Um, and this is the first time Danny is, is coming forward. Christopher's talked about it. I know, I know his sister uh, wishes to remain pi- private, and you know, I think everybody respects that mm-hmm. and understands that she was very, very young at the time. So, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate. So, I think the state of, of the case today is, in many ways, Danny represents the living embodiment of everything that's been wrong with his story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the memories that he remembered, you know, I talked about, well, the film goes into heavily the idea that his memories are skewed by media versions of the events. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. Um, however, I do believe so many of the things he talks about are genuine and that he does remember these things. But also we're talking about a child's perception on something that's been, you know, over 35 years ago now. Sure. And so it's a, it's a very, very difficult picture and obviously a sad and tragic portrait of someone who's been, you know, psychologically damaged by something that he essentially was indoctrinated into at a very early age. Was, and, you know, that, that's the real Amityville horror for me. Was there anything that Daniel told you that made your opinion of the truth about the Amityville horror sway one way or the other? I would say that the, the, the light that's been shined on the family dynamics of the story um, really you know, gave me pause for thought, um, because in so many ways, Danny's story is mixed. The, the, he's almost haunted by his stepfather, George. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of his claims of the supernatural are mixed or interlaced with uh, his statements about the stepfather, which kind of, for me, it's, it's you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's the same as true for Christopher, because we haven't heard his entire story, but 
in a lot of ways, you know, making statements about George perpetrating the haunting or instigating the haunting on the family, um, I guess says a lot about that perception of how they view that time in their life, you know. For me, you know, his, their natural father was removed from the picture and replaced by someone who was an ex-Marine, and obviously, by all accounts, I was able to talk to a very domineering personality. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, without trying to make allegations towards someone I never met, which is, you know, obviously the problem here, um, everyone was kind of unnerved by him. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was even Lorraine Warren, and who speaks in the film about him, yeah. uh, was kind of put off by him. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it's a difficult uh, topic to step forward into in mm-hmm. that area, especially since, but. You know, since it's such a contentious, it's already such a contentious uh, controversy. Since the film has been completed and is now out, have you been in contact at all with Danny? And have you gotten his, his feedback on, on the film? Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, well, I say yes. Just a couple days ago when the film actually finally was released uh, theatrically and, and on uh, video on demand, he, he called me uh, to congratulate me and thank me for helping him uh, get his story told. And that obviously is probably the highest praise I could, as a filmmaker, could ever receive. Sure. Especially when it's such a sensitive topic about someone. You know, the film's about him, and it hasn't been an easy process because Danny put an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of trust in me, mm-hmm. which I greatly respect and obviously appreciate. Um, so, you know, yes, he's seen the film. Um, he's happy to have gotten this off his chest. Um, again, I keep saying it, but I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but. Uh, Hopefully, at some point, he'll be willing to step out and talk about it publicly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he told me when we started this project, he was not interested in, in having you know thousands of, of press uh, interviews and this type of thing, and he wanted to tell this one time and, and, and be done with it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's basically what we're left is right now. And so he and I are on a very cordial level. What do you personally want people to take away from this film? I want people to remember that, you know, it's easy to call the story a hoax and that this was all, you know, some sham created by the Lutzes for money. However, I don't think someone who goes through this and you look at Danny and you look at his reaction, uh, you don't end up that way over nothing. There was there was definitely something that happened to these people that, that was earth-shattering and completely has shaken up their lives. And the idea that someone's living in the shadow of something for the rest of their lives is something that kind of transcends Amityville. It talks about anybody trying to explain or rationalize the unexplained mm-hmm. to the public, and I think that's kind of, a, a, I don't know, a topic that really hasn't really been given serious consideration before. So I really wanted to do something new with a case that really has been mistreated in the media for so many years, and I wanted to do it respectfully, but also, you know, we have to tell a story at the same time. So I think it does all of those things, and I'm, I'm hope, hopefully will open people's eyes to the reality of these events. Eric, thank you for talking with us at Real Ghost Stories Online. Uh, be sure to check out his website, AmityvilleFiles.com, a very, very comprehensive look uh, at the murders, at all the investigations that have been done. Uh, it probably is the... Uh, preeminent uh, site uh, or, or really just uh, just plethora of information anywhere uh, on the topic of, of the Amityville Horror. If it's anything you've ever been interested in, you will find yourself on that site for hours uh, just absorbing uh, all that uh, 
all that is Amityville. So very, uh, very interesting documentary as well. Make sure you do uh, get a chance to uh, to watch that. Uh, another uh, case that uh, somewhat relates to the Amityville horror, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who investigated Amityville horror, also investigated uh, the uh, the setting and the haunting that uh, became the film The Conjuring nearly 30 years after uh, the events took place uh, in uh, that New England farmhouse. We'll be talking with one of the children uh, who lived through what was The Conjuring uh, in a, a future program here at Real Ghost Stories Online. So make sure you keep checking back. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, at uh, our YouTube page, and so you can be in on that when uh, when that comes up. Very excited uh, for that interview. All right, let's uh, let's move on here to uh, some EVPs. These are always interesting to listen to and try and get an idea of exactly what is being said or what is being uh, communicated. You can find them all over uh, the internet. Here's some that uh, that we've picked out that. Uh, uh, I thought we were particularly uh, interesting. Uh, we'll take a listen. I'm not going to tell you what it says, uh, and and until a, a couple plays. So let's uh, let's get to this one. This is one that I think certainly relates to kind of the topic we just talked about there with Amityville horror uh, and and the haunted home. Take a listen to this. Very clear, very clear. That get out of my house. You pick that thing up when you're walking around a haunted house. What exactly? What exactly would be going through you your mind if you heard that in your headphones? I think that would be okay. I'm done. Thank you very much. I love talking about this stuff. It's a very uh, intriguing conversation. But um, I, on the investigation point of things, uh, yeah, I think you got me for for so long, and then. At some point, he's got to go, okay, I'm out. How about this one? Don't be afraid to say something. Should we play that again? Don't be afraid to say something. The author is saying that it says, hold me, which is... um, Interesting. I don't know if I, I could get hold me out of there or just some sort of cry almost. Here's one more. Anybody in here with us? That one was interesting because that one almost sounded like it was another human being. A lot of times with the EVPs, it almost sounds like there's something else. But the uh, the man says, is there anyone in here? Then you hear another voice. Let's play it again. Anybody in here with us? They say it says they call me Gritch or Grinch. I wonder uh, <laughs> if that's uh, tying into actually the Grinch. Uh, EVPs, uh, a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking with an expert on that uh, in another future program that uh, we're working on lining up for you right now at uh, Real Ghost Stories uh, Online. Uh, we will be uh, discussing EVPs, having some EVPs uh, played back for us. Um, and that is uh, coming up in a future program. Uh, we're talking to Greg Myers, who's president of the Paranormal Task Force, Inc. in Arnold, Missouri. He's gone on several uh, haunt investigations, 
uh, and and has a lot of very uh, interesting uh, collections of EB, EVPs and data to uh, to share with us. It's coming up uh, on another program. One of the fun things, and this is really what uh, what what started doing the show, is uh, is taking listener callers or, or taking listeners' calls, uh, and uh, and and hearing just ghost stories from from you guys and this is something i i truly invite you to do uh being that this is a show that is pre-recorded and pre-produced obviously we do need to get in contact with you to arrange to to hear your story to share your story so if you have a good ghost story you'd like to share with us go to our website at real ghost stories online and click on tell us your story give us a brief synopsis and a way to contact you uh, and uh, if we like it and uh, you'd like to share it, we can have you on a future program sharing your ghost story. So some of these stories we're going to have for you this evening uh, have been uh, from my past radio show uh, over the years. Uh, but nonetheless, some very fun, interesting ghost stories that uh, that we've collected to give you a feel of, of exactly what you can expect on this program. Uh, in the uh, in the weeks and the months to come. So go ahead. You're on the air with your ghost story. Golf tournament in Wichita this year. Mm-hmm. Got a live band outside. Mm-hmm. Lawn chairs in the grass. And a bunch of us were standing around. And somebody sat in this lawn chair. Nobody was in it. But the grass squished down, you know, like somebody sat down in it. And we all looked at each other and kind of got weird. Mm-hmm. And later that night, we found out a member of the club had died that day. So we're all still talking about it. And you witnessed this chair yeah, go from just sat down in it. so pressure was being applied to the pressure top was of being this chair. To the chair. Somebody sat down in it. Wow! And we're all standing around, and everybody got weirded out. And then it wasn't till later that night that we found out, without mentioning anything, uh-huh. a member of our club had passed away that day. I was totally a non-believer in that stuff until I saw that happen. I bet. Wow, that's a that's a great story. Thank you for the call. That's one of those things where you you just. You almost wonder, is that is that the member of the club? That would be what you would be led to, to think. That makes the most logical sense. It's that person coming back either to say goodbye or or maybe they don't even know that they're not there. You know, that's that's one of those things that you, you wonder about that like gets portrayed in movies where the the person passes on, yet uh, they're they're still out there living their life and going through the motions and and, and are completely oblivious to the fact that uh, they're not alive. Although you have to wonder, how long do you do you continue on like that uh, without uh, finally realizing no one is responding to you? <laughs> or do you just start thinking no one cares? Obviously, it can go on for quite some time. Remember the, uh, what was the movie? Um, uh, <laughs> I See Dead People. That movie, you know what I'm talking about, from the 90s. Uh, they, I mean, that had a lot of people fooled for a good at least 60 minutes, <laughs> the way that they laid that movie out, um, and, and the characters going through the actions of, of every everyday life. Let's take another call. Hi, you are on Real Ghost Stories Online. Um, when we first bought our home, we were told that there was a man that had died in his sleep there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter at the time was probably 18 months to two years old, and, um, and you know, throughout time, she would look up, and, and she would point, and she'd say, he's right there, mm-hmm. or we'd be reading a book, and she would look up, and she would wave at him, and, I mean, she was two, so obviously she didn't know that it had happened, but mm-hmm. she did tell us that, that he was there. She rem- So she remembers seeing this figure? Yes, yes. She would look up from us reading stories and tell me, she would point and tell me where he was. 
Um, and, and she just knew of his presence at, at that young age, and we hadn't mentioned anything to her about that for her to know. Isn't that strange? You almost wonder if, like, kids can tap into that. I, I think so, because once she got a little bit older, she never did it anymore. So I think it's something that when she was younger, she tapped in on, but grew out of. You wonder how long kids can tap into that, and maybe it's something that not all kids tap out of if they are indeed seeing things that we cannot see, because certainly there are sensitives and, and, and mediums and, and people uh, that are adults that, that continue to go on throughout life seeing and hearing these other people as if they were actually there. I wonder why that is, that, that some, some people move beyond it and some people, uh, it, it stays with them. And why, why is that with some, some minds, some brains that it moves on and with others it, it does, does not? Very interesting topic for discussion on a, uh, on a future program. Hi, you're on the air on Real Ghost Stories Online. When I was a kid, I left walk and I wasn't, I never did that. I just remember I woke up and I was sitting in front of a mirror in our hallway mm-hmm. and just staring into the mirror. And I woke up like that. All these years, I've always thought, that's so strange, you know. And then I was watching TV and they had a story on ghosts and the other world. They said that back in the old days, people used to think that if you looked into a mirror and you saw your reflection, you could talk to the other side. Mm-hmm. I saw that story and I thought, oh my God. I was sleepwalking, and I was trying to talk to the other side. <laughs> How old were you? I was, like, uh, pre-teen. I don't know. There's a lot of teen girls, when I remember back to being that age, that love to stare at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> Are you sure you weren't just, like, checking out your hair in the middle of the night or Pretty something? sure. <laughs> I was sleepwalking. <laughs> sure. That's a good story. But when you, you think about the mirror end of thing, that's one thing that uh, we are not allowed to purchase when we go to the antique store. That is something that uh, that my wife has strictly forbidden. And I don't blame her. Uh, it, I, it's something I don't think I really am, am too keen on myself. I, I never really thought a whole lot of it, but it was one of those things that uh, you learn about, you uh, continue uh, through life, and uh, that was one of those topics. We were looking at a mirror at a store, and, oh, we're never buying that. And I had to ask why, and it was, it was that. It's that... Um, the the theory that that mirrors can can hold energy and you never know exactly where that mirror was and and what uh what energy may be in that mirror not exactly maybe energy you want to bring into your home and into your life i i don't fully know if if i believe that but if we're on the topic of paranormal and and this whole world in general uh anything i is possible you know if if these entities that people are seeing and feeling do in fact exist then i would fully believe and it would make total logical sense that okay a mirror could in fact hold some sort of energy or some sort of uh you know force you know from uh from what it it has witnessed i guess you know just, but I, I wonder if that's it has to do with the mirror or the object itself. Is it is it the mirror that is doing that, or is it the object? Because you've heard plenty of ghost stories that are surrounded around an object that someone has brought into their home, mirror or not. Um, and it makes you wonder if that uh, it, it is just simply the object, and some of them happen to be uh, 
mirrors. That right there, that would be a very interesting topic for us to investigate, to talk to someone who uh, is is an expert on such a thing. Is there an expert on such a thing? That's what I wonder. There must be, you know. It's probably one of those things someone has a, a passion and interest for, and through the wonders of technology and the Internet, we can now find that person who knows all about this and can give us some sort of insight uh, on that uh, the topic. It's something we will look up and um, and try and tackle on a future show. Let's go to another call. You're on Real Ghost Stories Online. My uncle and aunt had bought a mirror at a garage sale, and uh, one night my uncle kept hearing somebody in the house. So he kept getting up and checking on the kids and checking the house, and they were all fine, and he didn't find anything. Well, for about three times he got up. When he comes back that third time, the spirit had taken over his wife, and she was sitting against the headboard of the bed, and she was trying to tell him that it was the mirror, to get rid of the mirror, and it, the spirit would not let her do it. And finally, she was able to get it out. Well, then it made her attack him, and it went after him, and she was this little under four, under five foot, little bitty person. And he grabbed the mirror and threw it out the back door, and when it shattered, she collapsed. And she was in bed for two weeks from the exhaustion of that thing taking her over. She remembers it taking her over and having no control. And all he could think is, she's going to kill me and then she's going to kill my kids. You hear a lot of stories about mirrors and haunted mirrors. It makes you almost wonder, what is going on with those images that a mirror captures? Or what is being captured inside the mirror? That's, uh, here you go. I guess it answers our, our question a little bit more about mirrors what a coincidence there actually and i'm just going to be completely honest with you here as we're taping the show i'm going through some of our callers and i do not know what what the callers topics are going to be i i actually have our callers labeled one two three four five etc and that just happened to be the next call that we pulled up from our previous um, uh, topic it really they're not categorized by topic and it was just wow talking about mirrors into the miracle hmm Let's go to this one, see what we got. Uh, hi, you're on Real Ghost Stories Online. There's a housing addition that was built on top of the old Mount Carmel Academy, which was built in the 1890s. Okay. And when, when these houses were being built on this former property, there was one of the neighbors that we met, and their little boy at the time was uh, 12, and he had a basement bedroom, and he kept saying that the ladies walked through the basement and through the room, and... Their dog would bark every night uh, when they first moved in. They hadn't been there for maybe a week. And he kept seeing these ladies. Uh, he just he described them as ladies walking through the room and through the basement. Well, of course, they just thought he was. Now, he had no idea that there was a Catholic school at this on this location built in the 18, you know, 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, about a week later, their his, their dog died, had, and the doctor, the vet, said that it was a heart attack. Well, about a month later, I had actually picked up some uh, pictures from the Cape and Mount Carmel school of what the area used to look like, and they had donated some pictures since we lived there. The little neighbor boy was looking through them one night with his parents, and he said, Mom, those are the ladies that looks like the ladies that went through the basement all the time. That would make my hairs on my arms, which is pretty much the only place I've hair left in my body, uh, <laughs> where they wanted to know, stand on end. If my child told me that uh, that story, that's uh, yeah. 
Going back to the topic of, of children seeing ghosts, what's interesting so many times is that it seems they don't even realize that it, it is a spirit or a ghost they may be seeing because it, it looks so real and so present and so physically there. Is it all in perception? Is it all about how you're seeing it? Different people see different things in different ways or some people, uh, especially children versus an adult, seeing the apparition in a full human form while another adult may be seeing it as a uh, translucent or transparent form and others not seeing it at all. I have to wonder if that uh, has a lot to do with with why some people see spirits and others do not uh, in the uh, in the same locations. Let's go to uh, another call here. We have a few more minutes uh, for a call at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're on the air. There was an old mansion where I used to live in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And so there was about three or four of us that got together, and every now and then the person, that caretaker of it, they'd let us go through. Well, we happened to find this one door, and it was, you would have never noticed it was a, you know, what what's the word I want to use? It was, uh, it looked like the wall, but we pressed it, and there was a wall, and it opened up, and we went through this little alleyway like in behind the wall sure so it was it was a secret door yeah and oh my god we we were walking through it it gives me goosebumps thinking about it and there was cobwebs hanging down and everything and we got halfway through uh the little hallway and all of a sudden our because we had like a flashlight our flashlight were out now, it's battery operated. It mm-hmm. went out, and there was a breeze. You could feel it. It didn't take us long to get out of there. And we you were know. in a confined area where there wouldn't have been a way for a breeze to come in. No, it wasn't. That's it, that's very spooky, spooky. Uh, especially with a flashlight going out, because that's one of those things you always hear of. If there's some sort of energy or entity in the area, it, it just sucks all the the life out of out of electronic devices, especially batteries. And it did. It just went off, and and then when we turned around, we started running backward. We come through, and we were oh, I, I'd say maybe twenty feet from where we come in. The light come back on. It was like oh no, you ain't coming through here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was spooky. I mean, it was crazy, and I was. I was probably about 14 at the time, mm-hmm. but I mean, it still sticks with you. It's like, oh my God, you're going through this secret, you know, hallway in behind everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, your light goes off and there was about four of us girls, my sisters and a friend of ours. And then, I mean, there was no way nobody could have done that. You know I mean? Cause we thought about it afterwards, but was there somebody in there? How would it do the flashlight? I wonder if whatever it was was trying to keep you away from something, and and what what was it? Yeah, and we still to this day we never went back. I don't know if you want to know what what it was. That's the uh, that's the other caveat of the whole ghost hunting and 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 investigation and trying to call these things up. Is what is it that uh, that we are investigating and talking about? I fully believe that there is uh, 
more to the world of ghosts than just our dead loved ones or or maybe not even loved ones, maybe very bad dead people <laughs> that were once living and very bad in life um, that that may still be very bad in in death on the other side. I, I certainly believe there are uh, things that may never have been living to begin with that are out there causing uh, some sort of negative energy or wreaking havoc uh, upon the people that that path the, that, that that cross into their their path or its path, if you will. A few more minutes, a few more calls. Hi, you are on the air on Real Ghost Stories Online. Uh, I moved in this house when I was about nine years old, and as soon as we moved in there, my mom started having. Well, I thought with nightmares, she said that she'd wake up in the middle of the night and this guy would be standing over her, this ghost, you know. There was an old cellar-type basement, and I was down there just kind of looking around one day, and they had, like, the concrete walls with the dirt, mm-hmm. and uh, with some, there was a picture there with a little bit of dirt over it, and I got it, and it was this guy, and I took it upstairs to my mom and showed it to her, and she immediately threw it. I was like, well, what would you throw it for? She said, that's the guy I've been seeing standing over me. So this was probably a previous resident of the house. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Did he die there? Is there any story to that that you ever found? I don't know. We never did check into it, but we didn't end up living there much longer. Oh, I was just going to ask, how much longer did you stay? <laughs> yeah, not much longer at all. <laughs> that's something you really have to, to wonder about, especially when you hear stories of haunted houses and people uh, that experience horrible things and stay in the house. You have to wonder, what is making you stay in the house? That's a, a question that I, I I think is probably a very personal one and, and based on a lot, of, uh, a lot of decisions. And unfortunately, for a lot of folks, it ends up being a financial decision because, well, we can stay living with the ghost and being tortured or we can live under the bridge downtown. And uh, unfortunately, the option ends up being let's stay with a ghost um we're gonna be asking and and talking like i said with one of the people who uh who lived in the house that inspired the movie the conjuring and that is the most common question i know that uh that she gets asked is uh why did you stay in that house why did your family stay in that house um and I'm, I'm sure she's sick of, of answering that question, but we can, uh, <laughs> well, we can ask her. It's a whole new audience. So we got to know the answer to that question. But uh, I'm going to try and, and when, we, when we do talk to her, get information about uh, maybe some, some angles and areas of the, um, the case that have not been, uh, not been touched on uh, all that, that, uh, that much so far. Uh, let's do one more call here at Real Ghost Stories Online before we wrap up our first episode. Hi, you're on the air. Well, my ghost story is my granddaughter stayed the night one night, and she asked me to go find the rest of her tea set. Okay. So I'm in the room she's staying in, going through the toy box, and I'm going through the tea set. I pull out uh, several pieces, and I thought she was behind me, so I'm handing her the pieces. Mm -hmm. And when I get done, I turn around, there's nobody there, and I go in the the living room, and I say, where'd you put the pieces I gave you, honey? And my husband says, what pieces? She's been sitting in here with me all this time. And the next day they showed up after she left on the bed. But I don't know who I handed the pieces to, but I handed them to somebody. When you realized that you weren't handing them to her, did you look around the house right away to try and find them? Uh, Yes, I looked, and we couldn't find them. I thought they was playing a trick on me. Wow. 
handing off the pieces to a ghost child? Is that what was going on? You almost have to wonder. It's one of the most disturbing things about the paranormal and the whole topic of ghosts, especially if you encounter them. You're never really going to get that definitive answer of what was that that just happened to me? What just came through me? What just occurred in my world? It's one of those things you just ask and share and maybe hold in because you don't want to appear crazy. On this show, we're going to try and tackle some of those topics and and hopefully do a lot more sharing than, than holding in and try and figure out what exactly this whole world of ghosts and paranormal is all about. Like I said earlier, we do want to hear your stories. Go to realghoststoriesonline.com, click on share your story with us or tell us your story. And uh, we may just share it here on the show and get in contact with you as well to have you share it on the show. We can go back and forth and uh, ask some questions and, and really dive into those experiences that may have haunted you. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on Facebook uh, or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter because we have a lot more shows uh, coming down in the following weeks and following months. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Real Ghost Stories Online Radio. I'm Tony Bruschi.